Good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning who are able to come out. This morning was one of those mornings where just nothing was going right for me and my brain. And uh, it was one of those mornings where we couldn't find a lint roller. I just found the, the sticky roll and I fashioned a handle out of a wire hanger. It worked. I MacGyvered it. But uh, uh, just uh, I, I bring that up because there are some, some days, whether it's Sunday or a day during the week, where you just you don't want to do it. Uh, I just want to stay home today, but you all are here. Uh, this morning could have been a morning of just, ugh, I don't want to go. I just want to sleep, but you're here. Um, and we're thankful for that and uh, happy and encouraged uh, by you being here. As you can see from our beautiful slide, uh, we went to Entertainment Junction a few weeks back, and I remember, uh, this is not from Entertainment Junction, this is from Google, uh, but uh, there, uh, I, I found while I was going through the display, there was a little church in the display. And if you've ever been to Entertainment Junction up in Westchester, you can see in these buildings. You can actually see in there. And there's this little guy in there standing behind a pulpit. And there's little people in the pews. And I'm pretty sure one of them was asleep. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I say this because our sermon this morning is about small churches. And that's a really small church. It's not so much, of course, talking about the building. But a few weeks ago, we, uh, we wrapped up our Why Do You Believe sermon series uh, with a sermon about denominationalism, what it is, um, and uh, you know, why it exists, etc. Now, in that sermon, we investigated the very common question of why are there so many churches? Indeed, there are so many churches bearing different names, teaching different beliefs, all claiming to be separate and apart from one another. For those on the outside looking in, this can be quite confusing, especially in light of Scripture's explanation that there is but one church, the church that Christ built, the church that He purchased with His blood, a church that is not a building, it's not a sect, it's not a denominational break-off or a branch, but it is a people, those who have united themselves to Christ according to His commands. The church that is detailed in the New Testament is the people. Those who have repented and been baptized into Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, being united to Christ by the powerful working of God. Colossians 2, verses 11 through 12. They are the church. The people are the church, both individually and as a whole. Gathered together, they are the church, and individually, they are the church. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Romans chapter 12, verse 5. So why then are there so many churches? And why is it that the churches that teach things contrary to Scripture seem to be the biggest? Have you ever seen the televangelists? Uh, What's his name? Oh yeah, Joel Olstein. If you've ever seen his church down in Houston, Texas, it's the old stadium that the Rockets used to play in. It it has been changed into this mega stadium seating church. Um, There are thousands, tens of thousands of people that gather there. But they teach things that are contrary to Scripture. But Paul addresses this. Paul said this was going to happen in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3-4. through 4. He says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, that they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But is the size of the congregation representative of the truths that are taught therein? Not necessarily. 
But some seem to believe this. There's so many people that are going here, so they must be teaching the truth. That must be the right thing to do. Look at all of those people. The truth is, however, that many of these denominations fit the bill of what Paul warned about to Timothy. Teachings to suit passions. People want to be told more that God wants them to be happy rather than be challenged in their lives, rather than be told that what they're doing is wrong. And if you pick up a bulletin note this morning, uh, or a bulletin, my note in the bulletin, um, goes into that a little bit deeper. But honest people want to be told the truth. They don't want to be told the things that make them feel good. They should be finding comfort only in the grace that God provides and not the empty, misguided words of man. Now, I strive as a minister of the gospel to provide lessons from God's worth to both challenge and build up the body to love and good works. The work of evangelism and spreading the gospel to all the world. That's what Christ commanded us all to do. But the question that often comes up, can that work be accomplished by a small church? If the world today is so drawn to the larger, more entertaining churches, then how can a small church be able to do this? Now, I believe that it is absolutely possible, and I believe Scripture gives us some great uh, explanation and guidance in regards to the great benefits and potential of being a part of a small congregation, such as the one that meets here in the Heights of Loveland. And I'll also remind you that we're not a part of a small church. The number of the church is quite large, but the number of the church that meets here may be small. Now, throughout history, there have been large congregations numbering into the thousands and even larger, and even as small as a few people meeting in the basement of a home. The definition of church size is quite arbitrary, really, but typically, a congregation with a gathering of 100 or less is considered small. That's us. But this number is not one in which pride should have any bearing. I've met with several individuals in my short time of being a minister who have inquired about the size of our congregation. And upon telling of our average attendance, I usually hear a, oh, or a, I'm sure it'll grow. It's like the number that's on the board over here is some type of score. A truth-teaching God-fearing, Christ-serving congregation of any size has benefits. I posted on Facebook about this uh, yesterday as I was kind of teasing ahead to this. that We shouldn't be focused so much on the scoreboard. You know, when I've had these conversations with, with fellow preachers in the past, it seemed, I, I compared it to two fishermen comparing their fish stories. You know, uh, my, my, the fish I caught was, was this small. Oh, well, I caught a fish this big. When really, we shouldn't be focusing on the size of our catch, but rather the nets that we're using to catch the fish. Now, I'm not saying that we are to go out and trap people and bring them into the church. That's not what I'm saying. Jesus himself said, and we talked about it this morning, that we are to be fishers of men. We're not, we're not to be looking at all the fish that are sinking our boats, but rather focused on how the fish get in the boat. No matter how big or small a church is, there are great benefits. Um, the benefits of a large church have uh, obvious ties to their size. They can do great things because they have increased resources, be it money through contribution, be it by people who are able to serve and willing to serve. But the benefits of small churches 
they often get lost within a, a larger congregation. If you've ever been a part of a larger congregation, some of the things we're going to talk about this morning will sound very familiar to you. Now, I want to note that the purpose of this lesson is in no way to encourage us to become stagnant in growth, rather to remind us all of the benefits and the obligations that we have as a small church so that we might avoid discouragement. Indeed, growth of Christ's kingdom is one of our essential roles as a, uh, as a disciple of Christ. And one of the things, which we'll talk about shortly, that is in fact a benefit of being a small church. So let's begin with one of my favorite things of a small church, and one of the greatest benefits too, I believe. And that is the strong sense of family that is found within smaller congregations. This is something that I absolutely love about our congregation here. It is something that drew Sarah and I to this congregation. It's, and in fact, and she can attest to this, after my first Sunday interviewing here, we left and I told her that even if we didn't get offered the position, we would still come and start attending at this church because we felt at home here. And we've heard that uh, from several people, the, the Middendorfs, for example, as, as they've joined our congregation, they feel a sense of family here. And I am extremely happy that that is something that people see when they visit and, and begin attending our congregation. A small congregation offers the ability for the members to know one another very well. Interacting with one another on a personal, one-on-one level is much easier in a smaller congregation. I remember attending larger congregations in which there were some that attended there that I never had the opportunity to meet. And I've actually heard that they knew who I was, but I had no idea who they were. I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing. But I never had the opportunity to meet these people because typically they sat on the other side of the auditorium. This this church had a main row down the middle of of pews and then pews on the uh, one side and pews on the other. Actually, Sarah, was it split down the middle? I think it was. I think it was two, two, two sets of pews, basically, on two sides. And if you sat on this side of the church, the likelihood of meeting and talking to somebody on this side of the church didn't happen. Of course, here, that happens all the time. Um, now, there, there was a familial relationship there. There was a family feel that was there, but it was in smaller groups. Um, and they, you know, they were broken up into small group meetings, uh, oftentimes uh, throughout the year. Um, and, and when you were in those smaller groups, you got to know those people really well, but you still didn't get the opportunity to meet everybody else that was a part of the congregation. So it was, it was broken off parts of family rather than the body as a whole. And there were many there and here that I may not always remember their name, but in a smaller congregation, I'm able to remember a face because of the time that we get to spend together in a close-knit, smaller family. The smaller congregation allows for familial relationships to develop. This sense of family is spoke of often in Scripture when referring to the household of God. 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul tells this young preacher how this familial relationship should be. And he writes, starting in verse 1 there of of, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. It's supposed to be a family. We're supposed to treat each other as we would our own families. A small church offers the great opportunity to cross generational lines, where children learn to relate to others besides their peers, besides just those that are in their age group, maybe the the ones that they go to school with. 
learning not only the truths of the Bible, but how to recollect them, how to share them, how to gain confidence in talking to others about it. A family in which young and old benefit from each other's strengths as well as help to strengthen each other's weaknesses. Turn over to Mark chapter 10. Peter and Jesus have a conversation here related to family. And while this conversation is is often used to illustrate the sacrifice that may have to happen in order to follow Christ, there's also the promise of a blessing that is found in the family of God. If if you've gotten over to Mark chapter 10, uh, look down at verse 28. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Verse 30 there, a hundredfold now in this time of a bigger family. I can attest that in my life in the church, the overwhelming number of brothers, sisters, mothers, and fathers that I've had support, love, teach, and encourage me, and provide proper admonishment when it warranted. Even here, our boys, Sarah has an army of women happily offering and willing to take one of the boys, or two, or all of them, during services either to offer her a break, give her an opportunity to listen to the lesson without distraction, or, or even at home, if she needs to get out and do something. Where else can you find that? What other group of people do you have in your life that you would find that sort of love and support? Would your coworkers do that? Or the people you go to school with? Even our biological families may fail to fill these roles in some cases. But the family of God, the church provides just as God himself has provided for our needs. And it could also be said that God provided his son to establish and purchase the church so that we'd have the support of a Christian family. Which is the heart of the Hebrew writer's exhortation in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day draw near. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where we uh, had our scripture reading this morning. Another benefit of being a part of a smaller congregation is that it provides greater opportunities to grow. I heard this from a brother after he inquired of our size one time. He said, said, you know, how how big are you guys? You know, what's your average attendance? And I told him, and he said, joyfully, he said, plenty of room to grow. Now, in other encounters that I've seen, or that I've had, it was more of a, a pity or a, um, an underlying, I can't think of the word. Anyways, his comment, though, was more of an encouragement. It was more of, a, um, it was more of a, uh, a, an encouragement that, you know, this is, even if you're small, you've got room to grow. And he's not just talking about numbers. And when we're talking about opportunities to grow, we're not talking about the scoreboard, right? We're not talking about the number of people here. It's about spiritual growth as well. And that's really what we should be doing as congregations. We should be striving to grow, both spiritually for ourselves, but also the number that that gather here as well. 
and as congregations as a whole in in communities and you know we there's churches of Christ peppered throughout Cincinnati and we should be working to encourage one another not competing against one another which sometimes happens which is weird it's it's just not natural for to to have that kind of competition we're all serving the same purpose we're all a part of the same family there's no there should be no competition but more than encouragement uh, it, it, makes, it makes me focus on that other definition of growth. Not the growth of numbers, but because God is who provides the growth, right? As we, as we read in our scripture reading this morning. Um, that's um, the, the growth that's being spoken of in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 3 that we heard this morning. Look down at verse 6 there. Let's read, um, read that again real quick. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are all God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. All right? So is what Paul talking about here just the physical growth, the number of people who meet in the body? Or is he talking also of the, new, the spiritual growth? And I think what he's teaching encompasses both of those things. Now, leading up to Paul's teaching here in Corinthians, he's admonishing the, the Corinthians about the divisions that had popped up amongst them between um, those who say they followed one man, Apollos, and those who claimed to follow another man, Paul. And they had denominated themselves based on man, based on these men. They said, I am an... I am. I follow Apollos. I follow Paul, and Paul is basically scolding them in his letter. And I imagine that if this letter was written today via email or or Facebook or something, uh, Paul's words would have a lot of ca- all caps, yelling, and a lot of angry emojis that were peppered in there as well. Um, Paul's not happy with what's going on in the Corinthian church, and so by by exhorting them in this way, by by admonishing them in this way, rather. Um, you know, he's talking, it's not, it's not Paul, it's not Apollos, it's God. God is the one that provides the growth, both in number and spiritually. Okay, notice in this, in, in how Paul talks about this, how he describes our role in all of this. He refers to the preachers, in this case, Apollos and Paul, as planters, as farmers. All of us are toiling in God's field. This isn't a new concept. This, this concept of, of agriculture, if you will, is all throughout Jesus' teaching, all throughout the Bible. Jesus said, as he sent out the 72 disciples to preach ahead of him to Israel, in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, he said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord for the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. What's done in a harvest? That's when you gather the crop. The crop that has been planted a crop that has been watered, of which God provides the growth. So the growth that I'm talking about in, in this point, that a, smaller point has, or that a smaller church has great opportunities to grow, I'm speaking in regards to spiritual growth. In a smaller congregation, it's more likely that we'll be needed. That we'll be needed to fill roles to help serve the congregation and her purpose. The roles that we have in a smaller congregation are really not that much different from that in a larger congregation. Things such as serving in public worship, teaching Bible classes, cleaning the building, preaching, all of these things. 
The number that is needed to fill these roles on a particular day is pretty similar, no matter how big or small the congregation is. But in smaller congregations, the ratio of roles to willing members to serve is much greater. Dale's laughing. He knows. Simply because we don't have a large pool to choose from. So there's great need for those who are willing to serve. And when it's more likely that we're needed, it's more likely that we're going to be used. In larger churches, they have a large pool that rotates. Opportunities to preach, teach, serve in public worship, etc. These things are more rare because there is such a large pool. One may only have the opportunity to be used in these roles once in a while. Now, if it wasn't for being a part of a small congregation down at Kumo, the opportunity to preach and teach would have been much smaller at Withamsville where we were. In fact, it was. I had the opportunity to teach one class at Withamsville, and it was our last Wednesday at Withamsville that I taught it before we moved up here. But the encouragement to serve in this capacity, to serve as a preacher, to serve as a teacher down at, uh, down at Kumo was overwhelming. And it's something that I credit to now being in ministry full time. It's those opportunities which allowed me to grow immensely. And it's now why I also offer up those opportunities as much as I can here. When a month has five Sundays, the last is often one that I offer up to any man of the congregation to, give and, uh, to prepare and deliver a lesson from the pulpit. Many church leaders today likely develop their skills and passion for serving the church within smaller congregations because the opportunities were greater. Unfortunately, in contrast to this, this can be seen in a negative light by some. Some who are unwilling to serve may feel worried that attending a small congregation could lead to them having to serve more or always be needed. Now, this is an unfortunate feeling, but I believe, at least in my case, that it's something that I'm sure we've all struggled with from time to time. Always being called upon to teach, always being called upon to pray, always being called upon to lead singing. But I hope that we can find encouragement in knowing that the need is great, the harvest is plenty, and the laborers are few. And we have great opportunity not only to serve, but to grow in our service opportunities. When we're more likely to be needed and used than when we're gone, we're much more likely to be missed as well. As you saw today, we're low on men to serve today. Many men are on vacation this week, and so they're missed. They are missed not just because they're not able to serve, but we miss the fellowship and we miss the opportunity to be around them. Turn over to Galatians chapter 6. Oh, I didn't bring my water. Uh, in a small congregation, uh, one's absence is more notably felt, especially when we're needed to fill certain roles like teaching a class or leading worship. In a larger church, an absence could be overlooked week after week. And for those who are in need of encouragement, this recognition of absence is important. It's important for members to recognize when someone has been absent because it could be a sign that they're struggling with something in their life, that they need encouragement. But it's too easy for someone who is struggling with those things to get lost in a big crowd. If their absence is missed, how can they be encouraged? We all need brothers and sisters who will take notice when we begin to show signs of weakness. If you turned over to Galatians chapter 6, look at the first two verses there. 
Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We can't fulfill the command to bear one, another, one another's burdens if we're not devoted to number one up there. Having a strong family. Look around this morning. Is there someone here that you don't know very well? Is there someone whose name you may know, but that's about it? You don't know much more about them. I hope you'll take the initiative and are encouraged this morning to change that. Get to know your brothers and sisters so that when and if the time comes, that we'll be better able to encourage one another to love and good works as we're commanded to do in Scripture. So we can better bear one another's burdens as a family. And when we do that, we grow together. That's another part of the growth. We grow in spirit, grow in spirit, our spiritual growth, we spiritually mature. We also grow closer together in our family relationship. And in doing that, will hopefully also lead to greater growth in the numbers as well. Because we'll be able to better work together for the cause of Christ. Because even though there are great benefits of being part of a small congregation, there are also obligations for the small church to consider as well. These obligations are all connected to the benefits. The first of which is the, to encourage the sense of family that we talked about. And we can do this individually by being hospitable with one another, inviting people over for dinner, games, etc., going out to eat, enjoying social outings like our monthly potluck or the parade that we're going to do later this, uh, later this week and the Independence Day uh, festivities after that. Uh, hopefully we have the opportunity to spend that time together. And maybe you can bring some friends along as well. We're all going to be matching in our t-shirts, but we may have some extras if they want one. They're feeling left out. Um, a great opportunity, not only uh, this, what we're doing Tuesday is not only a great opportunity to grow our sense of family together, but it's also to show the community exactly who the church is. I think I mentioned this last week, but people drive by this building all the time and they think that this building is the church. This building is not the church. And when, they drive, when most people drive by it, the church isn't here. The bricks are here, but the, the heart, the, the true church, is not here. And so how are they ever going to know who the church is unless we get out in the community as the church and go to them and show them who the church is? We are a family of believers who care for one another and we care about the spread of the gospel. As a congregation, we can build this familial relationship up by providing opportunities for our spiritual growth, by providing opportunities for spiritual fellowship, for togetherness and encouragement. Things like Bible classes, the ladies' Bible study, a men's Bible study that I'm hoping to start very soon. All of these things can help build our spiritual growth, but it can also encourage and build our sense of family as well. Additionally, we can provide opportunities for spiritual growth by training those who are willing to learn and serve. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 says that we should entrust what we've, been, what we've learned to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We have a small rotation of folks here who are willing to teach classes. But is that because some feel ill-equipped to teach? If they're willing to teach but feel inadequate in that, 
Are we doing what we should be doing to help train them and encourage them to teach? As a family, we should be here to encourage that growth. So if you are interested in teaching and you feel that way, let the elders know. Let Matt know if you're interested in teaching, but that you don't feel as confident. And we can help. We can help encourage you. We can, you know, pair you up with someone who has been teaching for a while so that you can kind of see and get a feel for what it's like and and how to do it. Um, You know, teaching a class, no matter if it's a children's class or the adult class, is extremely rewarding. Sometimes you learn more just being a teacher than you do sitting in a class. And that's even as a teacher. Anne knows more about bees now than probably anyone else because of the little felt bee that she plays with Lincoln. I'm just, I'm just kidding. But there are all the, Bible, all the Bible stories that you hear as a kid and all the Bible stories that are taught uh, to our children. These things you get to see from a different angle. right? You get to look at them in different ways. How many times have we heard the story of Daniel's in the, Daniel in the lion's den as a children or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You know, those stories are morbid, terrible stories that are taught as happy children's stories. But as a teacher, you see that other side of things and you can learn and grow from that as well. But when we have those uh, who are willing to develop their abilities and their talents, we need to be ready and willing to provide the opportunities for them to use those skills to serve the Lord. If you have a sermon in your head that, you, that you'd like to develop and deliver, I'm always happy to give up this pulpit and let you preach. For who is Apollos? Who is Paul? Who is Derek? We're just all servants of the Lord. It's not solely the preacher of a congregation's job to plant the seeds of the gospel or to water them. It is everyone who is a disciple of Christ who should strive to do this. It may not be from a pulpit. It may be from a, pub, uh, from a cubicle or a, a warehouse floor or a public park. But this pulpit belongs to the cause of Christ. And I welcome any man who desires to bring a lesson from his word. I don't consider that shirking my duties. In, in fact, I, I see it as part of my duty to entrust faithful men to teach others. I can't express enough the growth and wisdom one can gain from preparing a class or a lesson to preach or have the opportunity to reach lost souls. All of these things are important obligations to ensure that the benefits of being a part of a small church thrive. It doesn't mean that we should desire to remain a small church. Turn over to Matthew chapter 13. Now certainly there are advantages of a small congregation for all the benefits that we've covered this morning. The warmth, the friendliness, the comfort of being a, in a small congregation is something that some may not want to lose. But that's not to say that those things can't continue in a larger congregation, that they can't continue as you grow. Small congregations who have these strong characteristics and focus on these obligations that we've talked about will grow into a church that continues in the characteristics and in those benefits. Aside from that, scripturally speaking, the Lord expects growth in His church and in His kingdom. If you're in Matthew chapter 13, look down at verse 31. Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches." Again, we've returned to an agricultural metaphor. 
or parable. A small seed that is planted. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven as, as Christ describes here. And it's also referred elsewhere in scripture to Christ's kingdom as well as simply the church. The seed must be fed and watered, allowing God to provide the growth. We should not be content to remain small. And we should be seeking to grow both as individuals on a spiritual level and as a congregation, growing the kingdom of heaven through our evangelistic outreach. And one of those opportunities to reach out, I'm going to plug it again, is this Tuesday. A time to help grow our relationship with one another through fellowship, but also to reach the community and show the love of Christ that is found in His church. And I hope you can join us. If you're interested, please see me after services so I can explain to you what's going to happen, what to expect, etc. Everyone is welcome, young and old. We're going to have a truck. You can sit in the back of the truck and throw candy at kids. If that doesn't encourage you to throw... I love throwing candy at kids. Especially when they're being ornery. But I hope you can join us for that. I, I, I think it's going to be a great, great opportunity to grow together and, and, and to hopefully reach, you know, if, if one person comes because of what we do on Tuesday, it was worth it. Now, my point of this sermon is not to suggest that one size of congregation is better than any other, but to encourage us all, myself included, that being small has great advantages. And while some may look at the size of a congregation and think that they need something bigger, we shouldn't let that hinder our opportunities to build up one another to love and good works. We need to focus on our strengths. And when we do that, that should lead to growth. We should strive to improve upon our weaknesses through fellowship and study, which, of course, will also lead to growth. Keeping those strengths and turning our weaknesses into strength will only serve to make us just as strong of a body, uh, uh, strong of a body of believers as we grow. As I mentioned before, the growth that we're talking about this morning is, is spiritual. Someone deciding to attend here, or someone who decides to obey the commands of Christ, to repent of their sin, confess that Jesus is Lord, and be baptized into His death, burial, and resurrection for the remission of sins, thus being added to the church, yes, that grows our number, but that person has grown exponentially spiritually just by doing that. And that's the growth that we should be aiming for. The numbers on the attendance board is not a score. It does not determine our value as Christ's church. The Lord has already determined our value. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 31, that we are more valuable than sparrows. And the fact that we can sit here today Many of us who are united to Christ through our obedience and baptism sit with a gift. We have the gift of God's grace, something that is only given by God to those who have faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior and have humbled themselves as obedient to His will. Romans chapter 3, verses 22 through 26. We'll wrap up with this. Paul writes, "...the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe." For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Grace is a gift given through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. 
It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Next week, we will begin a new sermon series titled Amazing Grace. And we'll look into what grace is, how we have access to it, what it provides for us, who it's available to, and much, much more. God's grace is something that is so often very misunderstood. Denominationalism teachings uh, tend to avoid some key elements of grace, things that we'll discuss in this sermon series. So I encourage you, if you haven't invited a friend to visit with you to the church, this is a good sermon series to do it. Because they may be interested in hearing about what the Bible teaches on grace, because they may already have preconceived notions about what grace is. But you'll never know if they're interested in hearing about it, unless you ask and offer the invitation for them to come. And so, too, this morning we want to offer up an invitation for anyone who is here that is, has a need that the church can help with, whether it's the desire to be baptized according to what the Bible prescribes, or anything else that the family, the household of God, can help you with. Please make your request or need known. For how can we know to help if we don't know what's on your heart, if we don't know what troubles you, if we don't know the needs that you have? But if the church can aid you in any of these things this morning, won't you come now while we stand and sing?